You're listening to a chapel message from Trinity Christian College, recorded live at the Ozinga Chapel Auditorium in Palos Heights, Illinois. Welcome, I'll add my welcome to those who are visiting us uh, this morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Ben, the campus pastor here, and you are finding us uh, deep, 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 deep into our journey that we've been on all semester through the book of Genesis. And we've made it to Genesis 37, which marks a new section in this book. Uh, Starting with Genesis 12, we've been tracing God's promises as they unfold through the patriarchs. And so we followed the stories of Abraham, we followed the stories of Isaac, most recently we've been following the stories of Jacob, And now we are going to zoom in to the sons of Jacob. And we're specifically looking at the story of one son named Joseph. And so this Joseph cycle, it starts here in Genesis 37, and it's going to continue to the end of the book, to Genesis 50. And the key question throughout Joseph's story is a question that is introduced in this section right away. Here is the question. The question is, where is God? Where is God? Isn't that a question that all of us find ourselves asking, especially during college? Where is God in my studies, in my job, in my plans, in my relationship? And if you find yourself asking a question like that, then Joseph's story is for you. Joseph's story opens with his dreams, which he shares with his brothers and with his father. And so this story, then, is not only about how Joseph himself interprets these dreams, but it's about how one set of dreams gets interpreted from the perspective of three different characters. And so this morning, I'm going to say that this is a dream in three dimensions, which we are going to explore from each angle. And so let's start with Joseph. Joseph, the dreamer. Joseph is around 17 years old at the time of this story. He's just a little bit younger than some of us in this room. And the text makes it clear that he is his father's favorite son. Jacob even makes Joseph a coat of many colors, which of course does not go over well. It makes his other 11 brothers red with anger. And one night, Joseph has a dream. And something we'll learn about Joseph is that God gives him many dreams. And he calls a family meeting to share it with his brothers. He says in verse 7, We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And if that's not cryptic enough, he has a follow-up dream. Look, guys, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And I imagine that if you received a dream like those, where you were cast as a bundle of grain or as someone whom the stars were bowing down to, that you might be a bit confused. And we can probably see how these dreams fit into God's larger story, right? They are pointing to how Joseph will be the son who rules over his 11 brothers. But Joseph didn't have that much context to help him. And so this text makes me wonder, Why would God communicate through such an uncertain manner? And Joseph's dreams wasn't even one of those dreams in the Bible where where God is telling people directly what to do, right? Like like Jesus' father gets a dream, it's like, call him Jesus. Or, Or Paul gets a dream of a man, it's like, come to Macedonia. No, Joseph doesn't interpret this dream with with clarity. He doesn't say, like, I'm the big grain, you are the small grains that are bowing to me. So why then? Does Joseph need a cryptic dream with bundles of grains and 11 moons? Because elsewhere in Genesis, we've seen that God gives very, very clear messages. 
This is the God who is shouting, let there be light in Genesis 1, who sends angels to eat with Abraham, who wrestles with Jacob, who touches Jacob. You know, Joseph's brothers were jealous over these confusing dreams, but Joseph was probably even more confused. He's probably asking, where is God in this dream? And we've experienced that too, haven't we? We've had moments where, where it seems like God has been so visible, so clear, so loud, after, after camp, after outcry, after a conference, and then, where is God? When we want to hear God the most, it seems that we hear from him the least. And we have lots of questions where we'd like to hear from God, right? Should I DM them? Should I marry them? Should I quit the job? Should I take out another student loan? Should I change my major? Should I reconnect with them or cut them off? And we ask, where is God in my confusion? And truthfully, we don't always have God sending us clear answers to our questions. Right? It's a lot of pressure to have this technicolor dream coat, to be marked as someone who is set apart to hear from God, but still can't figure out what those dreams mean. One researcher who studies college students, just like you, describes the college years as a season called emerging adulthood. Emerging adulthood. And this researcher, Jeffrey Arnett, says there are five feelings that emerging adults experience. They are feelings of identity exploration, feelings of self-focus, feelings of instability, feelings of in-betweenness, and feelings of possibilities. Do any of those feel familiar to you? Right? This this time at college, these are the years to ask, where is God? During your age of identity exploration, self-focus, instability, in-betweenness, impossibilities. And yet the unfortunate truth is that far too often during this crucial season, we leave Trinity with more confusion than certainty. So what do we do? when we find ourselves in these spiritually uncertain places, places where God's voice is muddled like in a dream? That was Joseph's question, too. So let's turn now, let's turn now to the brothers to help us get a fuller picture of what's going on. Joseph's brothers have heard about these dreams at the family meeting, and they're trying to piece it together. And they ask in verse 8, will you actually rule over us? Are you that big sheaf of grain that we bow down to? And from what we can understand, it doesn't seem like good news to them. In fact, the text tells us that they hate Joseph because of these dreams. Imagine being so threatened by somebody else's dream. Just a dream, not even reality. And the brothers certainly respond to Joseph like he's a threat. And if we keep reading, we'll see he, they, that they choose to eliminate the threat. They throw him into a pit. They sell their brother to be a slave in Egypt. And again... Imagine how they must have felt if they took that extreme of a route. And I wonder if beneath the brother's anger was spiritual jealousy. Right? Why did you give that dream to Joseph? Why not to us? Why does he get the, the fancy coat and the fancy dreams and we get nothing? We just have to hear about it. And maybe that's our response, too, when we see someone who looks like they're just so much closer to God. Right? They, they can read the Bible and just get so much out of it. They have that crystal clear sense of what God wants them to do after college. And here I am, just listening to other people's dreams. Where is God when he's speaking to others 
but not to you. I think there's a warning here against spiritual comparison. After all, Joseph's brothers were probably jealous that God was speaking so clearly to Joseph, but maybe they missed how Joseph might have felt. After all, he was the one trying to hear God's voice through a confusing dream. So we've seen this dream from the perspective of Joseph, and we've seen this dream from the perspective of Joseph's brothers. But there's one more angle, one more dimension here, which comes from Joseph's father, Jacob. And he is the one person who doesn't panic over the dream. And we actually don't have any dialogue from him. Unlike Joseph and his brothers, who have a lot of back and forth chitter-chatter here, Jacob doesn't speak. But the narrator gives us a helpful aside. And the Hebrew text sets up this contrast in verse 11. His brothers were jealous of him. But his father, Jacob, kept the matter in mind. Jacob kept the matter in mind. That's all we hear about him. It's almost as if Joseph or Jacob is in this corner listening to this dumpster fire of a family meeting, thinking deeply and keeping the matter in mind. The original language there literally means that Joseph kept the words. Joseph kept the, or Jacob kept the words. And perhaps he was holding on to the same words that his father Isaac blessed him with. Remember a few weeks ago when when Jacob stole Isaac's blessing from Esau, the blessing included these words in Genesis 27, be, I'm sorry, rule over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. It sounds a bit familiar to Joseph, doesn't it? Right? Because Joseph also has a dream that he will rule over his brothers who in turn will bow down to him. And while Jacob does rebuke Joseph, he does not dismiss the dreams as trivial or insignificant. Jacob can see where God is working in these dreams. Because Joseph's dreams point to him being the son through whom God will carry forward his promises. And we know that these dreams will come true. Joseph will indeed rule over his brothers when the tables get turned and Joseph gets promoted to Pharaoh's courts while his brothers move to Egypt in a famine. And we see glimpses of this redemption as we trace Joseph's story but we see God's promises most clearly realized in the story of Jesus. Because while it's true that Joseph, the son of Jacob, will rule over his brothers in Egypt, we will see that Jesus, the beloved son of God, will rule over all of the world. And we know that this is not just a dream, but a reality, where Christ promises to reign over our confusing and uncertain world, everything from the wheat on the ground to the stars in the sky. And so we can trust that God knows where our stories are heading. We can trust that whether we find ourselves like Joseph, with more confusion than certainty about what God wants from you, or whether we find ourselves like the brothers, with more jealousy over what God wants from others, we can trust that God is working out the details of our stories. Even when it seems like God's voice is muddled like a dream, God never stops working. One thing uh, I say that I love about campus ministry is that over four years, however long you're here at Trinity, we get to see you go from a freshman who has no idea what they're doing with their life to a senior who has no idea what they're doing with their life. And as unclear as the future may seem to us, whether you're visiting Trinity and trying to figure out your next steps or whether you're about to graduate from Trinity and trying to figure out your next steps, We know that our futures are certain in God's perspective. 
And the good news gets better too. Because we don't need to feel like we're trying to interpret our dreams on our own. There are people around you, people even in this room, who would love to help you wrestle with seeing where God is speaking to you. Friends, family, staff, professors, coaches, pastors, and counselors are all people who might be like Jacob, who keep the matter in mind for you and help you see where God might be working in your life. You don't need to seek God alone. You are surrounded by people who would love to journey with you and help you consider that question of where is God. Yeah, I wonder who those people might be for you. And I wonder, too, what you might be able to do in the next, say, two days to start that relationship. A text, an email, a quick conversation when you pass each other in the dining hall. You know, this is the time of the semester. You don't need me to tell you this. You do need to tell you this is the time of the semester. But this is the time of the semester when we start to face our existential crises. It's, it's time to figure out a plan for the summer job or internship, for the grad school applications, for the life after college. And we have so much weighing on us. And we put so much pressure on what we alone can see of our dreams of the future. And sometimes, maybe as you've experienced, these dreams feel like nightmares. But what if God has a better vision for our lives than we could see ourselves? What if God has a better vision for our lives than we could see for ourselves? Because at best, we have dreams. Wispy, confusing, fading visions of what might happen. But God has plans. We have dreams, but God has plans. And so let's give our futures to God. Let's trust that even the most confusing dreams have purpose and direction in God's plan for your life and for the life of others. Maybe we won't get the full picture overnight. Maybe we won't get the dream job and the dream life in the first year. But just because we don't see the dream we want for ourselves doesn't mean that God has stopped working. And when it comes to figuring out where God is, we get to choose peace over panic. We get to choose faith over certainty. We get to choose hope over jealousy. Friends, you don't need me to tell you that there is so much in our lives that keep us up at night. But we can delight in God's will. And we can delight in seeking God's will because we know that they draw us deeper and deeper into the love that God has for us in Jesus Christ, who rules over all things and who promises to never let go of our stories. We have dreams, but God has plans. So let's give our futures to God and see how he might Thank you for listening to Trinity Christian College's Chapel Podcast. To learn more about campus ministries at Trinity, visit trnty.edu slash chapel.